Uh, I'm so glad you're able to be with us this morning. Uh, let me uh, just say that um, we're continuing this series, First Things First, and we're basically talking about setting priorities for 2022. And that's something that I think uh, most of us look at this time of year. We start to reflect on, you know, what last year was, what this year could be, and, and all the possibilities that could come from it. So look at the series introduction there on your outline. In Luke 2.52, we read that Jesus grew in the same four areas we should grow to be fully mature. Just as he, we are expected to mature mentally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. And we know this because of what we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And it, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, that's physical, and in favor with God and men. I want you to turn to Luke 15 this morning. Luke 15. We are continuing the idea of maturing spiritually. And, and basically, it's that idea of in favor with God. Last week, we looked at what it means to abide. But today, I want us to talk about how do we get back to the point of abiding. I'm convinced that many of us sitting here today would say there may, there probably was a, another time in your life where you felt like you were closer to God than you are today. You think about the song we just sang, God of Revival. What that's talking about there is to bring back the passion that you had for God. To, 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 to basically drop the dead parts of, of where we think we are and, and move into life in Him. And that's the whole idea of revival. But think about it. We began our spiritual journey. How many of you remember that time? Some of you were children, maybe teenagers, maybe adults. But you remember that freedom and relief that your sins were forgiven and no longer held against you. You remember the joy that probably came from your salvation. It's interesting when we see these uh, uh, those who have been baptized, uh, especially over this last year. We've seen some come out of the water and just so thankful what, for what God has done in their life. We see that from children all the way to senior adults and just see how the joy of, of what it means to be in that salvation, to see the salvation and the realness of it. But then... Maybe over the years, something begins to change. And we don't feel as close as we once were. And many of us would probably agree that we need something in our lives to bring back the passion. Well, I want to look at what that means this morning. So look at the introduction. Do you desire to get back to the place where you once were with God to a place of joy and fulfillment? Do you need a fresh touch from him? And by the way, brokenness is the only way, the only path to change, which leads to abiding. So if you're looking at the idea of abiding, we looked at this last week. We looked at what it means. The moment we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that is the point in which we're abiding, abiding in him. Some, some places uh, uh, you'll find that Paul talks about the whole idea of being filled with the Spirit of God. There's a similar idea of what it means to abide in Him, to be filled with the Spirit of God. So, how do you get there? If you, get, if you lose that part of it, not your salvation, but the joy of your salvation, the passion you once had, how do you go back? Well, brokenness, let me say this, does not necessarily mean tears of emotion. It is intense godly sorrow that we have possibly disappointed God in some ways, which leads to a strong desire to be restored. And again, it's that idea of revival. 
So first of all, I want us to look on our outline, the sincerity of brokenness. What does it look like, or what's the aim of brokenness in our lives? Well, first of all, as I said, brokenness is not necessarily the whole idea is wrapped up in some emotion. It's not found there. Now, could emotion come? Definitely. But it really is that place in which you come to a place of surrender to what God desires in your life. And so what should our response be? Look on your outline. The response of humility to obedience when God convicts. You know, you'll know when you're being broken, when that whole idea that you respond to him in humility when he convicts you of something. Now, this is not a one-time act. This is not one of these things where we go to God. And, and how many of you remember our immature prayers many years ago? Many years ago, maybe we prayed something like this. God, help this person and that person. Help those in the world around us. Help those who are serving on the mission field. And God, forgive me of all my many sins. And we just kind of wander off at that point, right? That's, that's good and everything, but it, it's not specific enough. God desires to bring us to a point of surrender when he convicts us of something. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been convicted of something? How many of you have ever been in where you knew you had a bad reaction to something? Maybe someone offended you, and it's not the fact that they offended you. That, that, that was their sin. It was how you responded was your part in it. And you just had to go back to God because God just started pressing on you that that was the wrong reaction. You ever been there? Have you ever been where God's convicted? You see, when we respond with obedience, that is a point of brokenness. That is a point in which we agree with God that that was the wrong response, and we respond with obedience, and that's a sign of brokenness. The second thing we see here, the sincerity of brokenness, is the shattering of the will so that the Holy Spirit can take control. Someone has rightly said this, before we can pray thy kingdom come, we must pray my kingdom go. It's the agenda that God has for us. And, and really the whole idea of why that's important is because really lasting joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in this life will come through the means in which he operates in our lives as we move towards that idea of abiding by way of brokenness. Now, I want you to think about this. What kind of heart does God abide in? What kind of heart does he abide in? I mean, it, abiding means indwelling. It means to find at home. And so what does it look like? Well, David, King David, I've told you this many times, his psalms are so beautifully written because he describes different things that are going on in his life. I've, I've said this before. Do you remember there were times in which he felt like God had disowned him? There were times in which he couldn't, he, he basically was saying, uh, this is not fair what I'm dealing with. with. With God, where are you in my circumstances? Have you ever been there? I mean, he's just so forthright with God. And then there's those times in which we see that he's actually broken. There's a point in which he realizes that he's far from God and the only means back is brokenness. And we find that really in two chapters in the Psalms, Psalm 34 and Psalm 51. But look what he says in Psalm 34. He says, the Lord is near to those, that literally means he moves towards those who have a broken heart and saves, some translation says, and delivers those, how? With a contrite spirit. 
contrite spirit. There's a, there's a component to that word contrite that literally means moldable. It's that idea of something that's been broken that can now be molded into something. And that is the picture that we have of brokenness here. A second verse we see in Psalm 51, he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. It's a heart that needs reviving. And what we find in Psalms 34 and 51, David has committed a, a, a sins beyond anything he probably ever could imagine that he did. And it, he goes back and he quits defending his sin. He quits going and, and basically says, I want to be right with God again. And he tells us what's going on in his heart as he makes his way to be restored by God. And if you were to say, well, what is it, what's it referring to with New Testament language? It would be what Jesus is talking about, abiding in him, being filled once again with the Spirit of God. Now, how do we have a, broken, a heart of brokenness? Well, you could really compare King Saul. How many of you remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? And then you had David who followed him. And these two guys are really complete opposites of one another especially in the responses to God. The first thing you see is that Saul sins and makes excuses for his sins and becomes even more rebellious and more prideful. That's what you find all through his life. But then there's David. He sins, and as I said, he is broken, and he has a desire for change. He wants to be brought back into a proper relationship with God, and he wants it. But then we find a biblical picture of brokenness that's found in Luke chapter 15, where the Holy Spirit introduces us to three things that are lost. If you were to look at this chapter, you'll see there's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Now, when you think about it, how many of you are grateful that God specializes in finding things and restoring them? Aren't you so grateful for that? And that's what we find here. So in Luke chapter 15, let's begin with the story. And of course, this is not a story you don't know. It's the prodigal son. Uh, it's been preached many times in this, in this setting. But I want you to look at Luke 15, verse 11. Then he, this is Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. So he's going to give it. He comes up. He says, this is what I want. Give me what's owed me. All right. How many of you agree he's already, he's already walking down a, a tough path right now? He already is and doesn't know it. He's probably in his mind thinks he's walking towards freedom, but he's not. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. So he divided it to him, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered uh, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions and prodigal living. Some of your translations say wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. There was something that he needed. I mean, he had exhausted everything. And now, look at verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He found someone that would give him an opportunity uh, to, to, to eat, basically. And he would gladly have filled his stomach 
with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I want you to think about that. How many of you ever had any hog slop? How many of you ever been around it? I've been around it. Matter of fact, uh, there were some pig farmers in the area I grew up in when I was a child. And, and if the wind was blowing just right, guess what? <laughs> you got to smell the hog slop, okay? And, and what's interesting about that, this young man finds himself, I mean, think about it, where he was, every need was taken care of. But now he finds himself at the bottom of the food chain, basically. And what the pigs are eating is something he found fulfilling and needed. And that's what we find here. Now, think of this. What do you think God is up to in the story? Now, there's something you got to understand. When there's a story written in Scripture, here's what I found. It's presented because God is up to something. You agree with that? Yeah. And so what we have here is God is up to something. What is God doing at this point in this young man's life? God is getting his attention. He's bringing him to the end of himself. That's what we find here. Now, here's what we need to understand. Many times those around us who are struggling and are struggling because God is, are, they're struggling because God is attempting to bring them, bring them to an end of themselves. How many of you think you've watched this before? Where, where all of a sudden there was someone who was wayward and it seemed like it just didn't work out. And it just got worse and worse. Now, here's what we got to be careful of. This is the reason we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be abiding, especially us as parents. is because there are times in which God, even those who are close to us, God wants to bring them to the end of themselves. He doesn't want you to bail them out. He wants them to hit rock bottom. And I know that sounds cruel. And I know that sounds hard. But sometimes, especially when it comes to parenting, tough love is so necessary. And we as parents, we as people who just live life, we've got people around us, we need to know when to insert ourselves into what God is doing. And we need to also know when not to insert ourselves into people's lives when God is doing something. Because God is obviously doing something here. Think about if someone came and bailed him out. He said, oh, poor son, I'm sorry you're in this slop. Come on, come, come with me. And Think about it. God was there bringing him to that point. God didn't want anybody to bail him out. It was necessary for him to move forward that this happened in his life. So let's look at what this looks like. The steps to brokenness. First of all, he came to himself. He got honest with himself. In Luke 15, 17, he got to the bottom. And it says, but when he came to himself, basically when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Why, do I, why am I settling for this in my life? My servants are treated better. I mean, my father's servants are treated better than this. And we see it so clearly. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have come in to a point in your life where you had to come to your senses? How many, how many of you, uh, maybe, I know most of us in this room are a little older. But how many of you remember the time in your life where you were a young adult? And you just transitioned out of the teenage years. You're a young adult now. And, 
I don't know, at some point in the teenage years, how many of you realize that we become know-it-alls? We know everything. You can't tell us anything. How many of you know that? You, 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 did you go through some of that? And then all of a sudden, maybe the mid-20s hits, maybe something hits, and all of a sudden, you realize that your parents aren't as stupid as you thought they were. How, how many of you remember that? And then all of a sudden, I mean, I mean, I loved it when my adult kids came, came back to us and said, how did you do it? Before they were like, what are y'all up to? You know, but th then they come and then they say, how many of you love that point when the kid comes back and says, how did you do it? How did you get us through this? I, I just sat there and I'm like, it wasn't easy, son, but I'm telling you. <laughs> we've probably been there at some point, but we've also been on the other end of it too. But here, he came to his senses. He had a wake-up call in his life. Steps to brokenness. He came to himself. Second law, secondly, he chose to arise. He was moved to do something about it. Look at Luke 15, verse 18. I will arise and go to my father. Now, is he turning in the right direction? Absolutely. Could someone have come in and, and interrupted the plan of God to, to turn it on its head? Absolutely. And I think I've witnessed that in my life, not only for myself, those that I love, but also through some of us. And, and basically, God had to bring him to this point where he saw the only thing that could help him was his father. He got to the point where he, the only place he could turn was to him. Now think about what many people do at this point. Many people tend to turn to other things or they just stay where they are. I've seen people get into pig pen and the slop of life and, and they just stay there. How many of you think you've seen that before? And they live in it and they continue to live in it. But the Bible says we don't have to live in it. That we have a heavenly father that wants to bring healing and restoration. But many stay in it. And then there are some who turn to other things addictions, whatever it may be. Uh, but he is turning to the right thing here. Next, the steps to brokenness. He came to himself. He chose to arise. He's going to do something about it. But here's the, one of the most important parts. He confessed his sin. In Luke 15, verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard, hired servants. God, I, Father, I just want to get back in. I want to be back in fellowship with you. And if I can't be the son that I once was, I'll settle for things that are less than that. I just want to be back with you, abiding with you, living with you. You see, brokenness does not blame or offer excuses. Let me tell you what I hear many children doing in this setting. Maybe, maybe they show up and they say, Father, you should have raised me better. Then I wouldn't have been so stupid. <laughs> Father, you shouldn't have given me the money. Why in the world would you give me the money? How many of you see that playing out in our world today? No one takes individual responsibility. 
No one says, no, it's me. The, the whole idea of confession is, is basically two people agreeing on something. And the father could look at him and say, son, you're right. And I agree with you. That, and, the, and the son could basically say, you know, everything he said there was true. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I've sinned. I've sinned not only against you. I've sinned against heaven. He's getting all this correct. He's in agreement with everything. Now, again, if we're blaming others and they're not repentant, then we're not surely broken. The person who is not broken blames themselves, blames everyone around themselves, their mate, their parents, their, uh, their God. The, the, but the person also says, or can say at that point, I'm at fault. I'm in need of forgiveness. Have you ever said, God, you're right about me? God, you're right about me. That's what confession says. God, you're right. I agree. I'm not in a good place right now. You have so much more for me. I, I want to embrace the reality in which you died for me to give me those things. And then I want to change the subject here. If you look to the side of where we just came from, there's some of you who are sitting in this room, and let's just be honest. We may not be the one that's wayward, but we have those that we love that are wayward. And that's tough. That's really tough. I would say that probably in all the counseling I've done over the years, probably the third thing that, that people come to me for is basically to have me pray for a loved one that's wayward. Or, or basically they come and ask me, what can I do to help them? Or how can I pray for them? Well, that's what I want to share with you right now. Look at, look at how we need to pray for those who have lost their way. We need to pray that they come to an end of themselves. We need to pray that, 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 that God, by whatever means, brings them to the pig slop. <laughs> Take them low. How many of you would say, oh, I can do that? That's tougher than, it, than you. I mean, that's tough. That's tough when you turn them over to God. That's tough when you basically say, whatever it takes. But, but I want you to think about this. Many times we pray for our children, and here's how we pray for them. We pray what we call a hedge of protection around our children, don't we? God, keep them safe. Keep them in the center of your will. But what do we pray when they're not? I've heard those who would say, it's at that moment that I don't pray a hedge of protection around them. I pray a hedge of thorns around them. How many of you heard that term used before? It's a hedge of thorns. It's basically they're there and everything that they touch, that they reach out, that in some ways it doesn't, they don't find fulfillment in it. Matter of fact, sometimes they're hurt by it when they're going in the wrong direction. That they keep, and, it, and it's not fulfilling. It's not what they thought it was. It doesn't deliver. That's how we need to pray for way, our wayward uh, loved ones. That what they're seeking apart from God that's in the wrong way that they find no satisfaction in it, and it never works. That's what we need to pray. You say, well, that's cruel. Well, tell that to Hosea. You ever studied the minor prophet Hosea? Hosea had one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. And his, basically, his story was to mimic what was going on with the nation of Israel. But here's what you need to understand. Hosea had a, a wayward wife. And basically, God tells him, how to pray for. So if you will, write this down. Hosea chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 
This is God telling Hosea how to pray for his wayward wife. Here's what he says. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. That she can't go in the direction she desires that can be so harmful. We're going to wall her in, basically. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Constant frustration. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. How many of you say this sounds very similar to the prodigal son? Very similar. And then it says in verse 8, For she did not know that I gave her everything she needed, the grain, the new wine, oil, and multiplied her silver and gold. She didn't know what she had. Bring her to a place where she'll realize what she once had. Don't you agree that's probably something we all could use to bring us back to a place that we once had? Next, praying for the wayward. Pray that they come to an end of themselves, but also chooses to remove themselves. Pray they would return to what is right and not become hard-hearted. How many of you ever seen that before? Where you thought God was trying to get someone's attention and, and, and all of a sudden you, you saw, you could see, almost see it. And instead of them bringing them to a place of brokenness, they get more hard-hearted. You ever seen that? That's heartbreaking. That's a tough one. But many see that. But you pray that they would remove themselves from that danger, from that sin. Next, agrees with God about their sin. That they begin to look at their life through the perspective of what God has for them and not what they think they want for themselves. That they return through the door of humility and brokenness. That they will be moldable. And by the way, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever uh, raised a strong-willed child? Any of you? Isn't it amazing how it doesn't take but months to realize what you got on your hands? I mean, they show up, and within three months, you know what you got. And you're sitting there, and you're wondering. Uh, let me just say this. I, I'm convinced, and I've watched this over the years. Strong-willed people are the people that change the world. And, boy, if you could ever get them turned in the right direction, it is amazing what you'll see them do for the glory of God. And some of you are parents of some of these people. Uh, and I watch them be strong-willed, and I see how God's using them now. But, but I'm here to tell you, sometimes strong-willed people had to be brought extra low. How many of you know what I'm talking about? you got to break them down. And it takes that. And every person I've ever seen used mightily by God has been broken down. Only for him to rebuild them to where he desires them to be. So brokenness is not a bad thing. But we got to get to the point where they agree with God, uh, God about their sin, that they're going in the wrong direction. That's how you pray for the wayward. Next, I want to talk about the signs of brokenness. Number one, a desire to be free than live in bondage. In Luke 15, 20, it says what? And he arose and came to his father. He, he, he didn't choose to live in the bondage of, 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 what, his, uh, of what his decisions brought. He didn't have to live in the shame and guilt. He didn't have to turn to addiction to cope with his situation. He turned where he needed to turn. And as a result, the bondage was traded for freedom. 
Next to signs of brokenness, a desire to serve rather than to be served. Think about it, the attitude that comes from brokenness. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great ways off, he, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's really the idea of feelings of unworthiness, the willingness to serve, the willingness to do whatever it takes to abide once again with the Father. And that's where we have to get to when it comes to brokenness that produces revival in our hearts and a new profound passion for God. Now think about it. Through it all, this young man discovered that life wasn't all about him. How many of you ever met people that life seemed to be all about them? And we're just here to applaud them as they move through life. You ever been around that before? Anybody want to confess that that may be? Um, don't do that. Don't do that. But I want you to think about that. Those that believe that we're just, or we're just there to promote them and that. No, this young man, do you hear the arrogance almost when he went to his father the first time? Do you see where he is now? God, uh, before he was the one that was being served. The servant served him because he was the son of the father. Now he's saying, whatever it takes for me to get back in, whatever it takes for me to abide in you, I'll be one of the servants. Brought him low. Jesus once said this. Except a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it abides alone. Now the seed, when you think about it, does not completely die. What dies with the seed is the hard outer shell. It is the hard outer shell. Uh, if the hard outer shell does not soften, the life inside literally rots away. But when the hard outer shell dies, it softens and then produces life. That's the goal. That's what God's up to when he brings us to a point of brokenness. His, his, his whole idea is not for, for you to die in the hardness of that shell, which many people do, but that that shell would soften, that that rebellious heart would turn to humility, that the pride would turn to, to humility and, and all, the, all those things as a result of that. So, so next, the signs of brokenness is the desire to be restored and face the consequences. Now, let me just say this. On the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of consequences that this prodigal son seems to have. But they are there. And we'll see those in just a moment. But think about it. That prodigal son has no idea how his father is going to respond to him. You, you know what I'm saying? He, does, he doesn't know. He's already prepared the speech. Remember the speech? Hey, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I mean, he's making himself as low as he can get. Part of that is he doesn't know the reaction of the father. He doesn't know how the father's going to respond. So look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. He chose to be a man who faced his sin. Now, I want, you to, tell, I want to tell you something about brokenness. Brokenness brings courage to do the right thing. When you sell out to the idea that God wants to do a work in your life, when you sell out to the fact that you want more of what God wants than what, anyone, every, what everybody else wants or what you want, 
then there will be courage that will come with it. Also, the right perspective will come with it. You'll begin to see your life with the proper perspective. And not only that, it brings you out of deception. It's amazing the deception that people find themselves in, isn't it? Part of the reason they're deceived is because they're, they're working so hard to defend their sin, to rationalize their sin. And that's what you see all around us. Next, signs of brokenness, desire to focus on healing, then anger. Look at verse uh, 22. But the father said to his servants, here's the father's reaction about his son coming home. Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and he's found, and they begin to be merry. They had a party, a welcome home party. Now, is everybody in the story thrilled that the wayward son's back? No, there's one that's not. But what's the father's response? Here it is. The father's response is one of healing and restoration. That's what the father is. That's what he's focused on. Let me ask you a question. Could the father have been angry? Oh, yeah. You know how we know he could have been angry? We've been there, haven't we? We've been there. And the big picture wasn't the healing and restoration. The big picture that we carried with us is justice and all these things and possibly revenge at times. But that's the father's response. But now the brother's response. Look at verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come. And because he's received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, what was his response? He was angry. And he wanted no part of it. No part of it. We see this. No part. Think about that. The father's response. Healing and restoration. The older brother didn't want to be a part of any of that. Anger. Next, this is tied to it. Sign of brokenness, desire to focus on humility rather than jealousy. In verse 28, it says, But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The father came out and say, basically was telling him his, his whole attitude around this thing was wrong. And he's trying to deal with him in that matter. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. Now listen to what he said. Look at how he's arranging the conversation. I have never transgressed your command at any time. Now, do you think that's really true? Nah, somewhere he's messed up. But what does he do? He jumps to exaggerations. How many of you have ever done that to defend your case? You never. You always. You with me on that one? Yeah, well, Tina and I knew we were fighting fair. Or discussing things passionately in a way that was more mature when we began to take that out of the language. Now, she sometimes will bring it up, but no, I'm just kidding. But, but, but we do that, don't we? We automatically, whatever it takes to prove our case, whatever it takes to, 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 to win people over, and that's what he's doing here. 
I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may marry with my friends. You never had a party for me, invited my friends. How many of you kind of hear yourself in this sometimes? Let's be honest. We've been there, right? The jealousy, the sibling rivalry, it's difficult. But as soon as this son of yours, <laughs> he couldn't even call him by name. Look, this son of yours, how many of you have ever done that to your children? You're talking to your, your spouse and you say, well, that son of yours, is that normally pretty angry when you get to the point you can't even say their name? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty angry here. That son of yours, he came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. You're having a party. The other brother saying, here's really what he's saying. I'm the one you should be honoring. Is he not? Now, let's look at what this looks like. In pride, he's a self-made man. In brokenness, we see a spirit-filled man. In pride, he's saying, I must be in control. In brokenness, it looks like surrendered. A self-made man, I must be honored. The broken, God is honored. The prideful man creates disturbing feelings and emotions. Let me just say this. How many of you think that this older brother's at peace with himself? Is there joy flowing out of him? No, he's having to deal with these disturbing feelings and emotions. And knowing the people that I know who, who are kind of caught up with a jealousy thing, they just kind of move from one story to the next, and it's always the same outcome. I deserve more. She didn't. He shouldn't have got that. I should have. You know what I'm saying? And it moves, and it continues, and it festers, and it grows. But the one who's broken... It creates joy and peace. And that's what we find with the Father's response. Next, the signs of brokenness is the desire to trust decision makers and authority than the worst. You assume the worst. I don't know about you, but the son that stayed away, he's probably out there thinking, I, I guess, you know, later he's going to get some of my share now. You know what I'm talking about? What did the Father do at the very beginning? He divided it up. What did he do? He gave that son his what did he do with it? He went and squandered it, correct? Is that right? So he must have been thinking, well, now you're going to give him mine? How many of you, your mind would go there too? Yeah, it's not fair. It's not fair. But, but listen, the father was the one who had the authority here. The father was the one who would be a decision maker. But he assumed the worst. Look at verse 31. And he said to that son, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is what? Yours. He's already squandered his. That was the consequences of his actions. And he seemed to have settled himself with that. The rest is yours. He's no threat to you. But how many of us always go to the worst case scenario, don't we? They must not like me. It's not fair. When we don't trust what's already in place. And sometimes that authority and decision maker is God himself. And we say, you're not fair. This is not just. But we don't understand the whole picture like the father did in this story. Next, signs of brokenness, desire to do the right thing, then defend pride. Look at verse 32. 
It says, it was right, the father said this, it's right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. He's saying, quit defending your pride. Let's do the right thing. So here's the application. As followers of Jesus, as I've already said, we need to realize that healthy living involves maturing mentally, physically, relationally. We're going to cover those in the coming weeks. But most of all, spiritually, where we are today. If the enemy, cannot if the enemy can defeat us in one of these areas, then he has a foothold in our lives, especially the spiritual part. These footholds can keep us from producing the fruit God intends. And we see that all through this story. And then we come to the beautiful part of the story. How many of you remember Paul Harvey many years ago? Some of you remember him? Even I remember him. I mean, I'm getting old. Okay. Anyway, he always would say, and here's the rest of the story. You remember him saying that? Listen, we've already read it, but listen to this. Here's the beautiful part of this story. Luke 15, 22, but the father said to his servants, he's getting ready to bring healing and restoration. Put, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us make merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they begin to be merry. Think about that. Healing and restoration. So but the question this morning is this. Do you need to be restored? Are you kind of like the prodigal? Something took you off the path. You're just kind of living out there. Just kind of doing your own thing. And, but you remember a time where you were in the dwelling of God. You, you, there was peace. There was comfort. There was a freshness about your faith. There was a passion about your faith. But it's missing now. Something came along. Maybe you're the older brother. Maybe you're, th you're sitting around thinking, I've tried to do the right thing all my life, and I've, I've been just, I've been this, I've done this, and all that. But you, you don't even realize it's your pride. <laughs> your pride is keeping you from the best. His wayward living was keeping him from the best, but for you, it's your pride that's keeping you from the best. Which one? And then lastly, maybe you have someone in your life that's wayward. It's breaking your heart. And you look at it and you're like, God, I, I can't do anything. This is all on you. But God, thank you for today that at least I know how to pray for him. God, help me to get to the point where the only thing that matters about my son's life, my daughter's life, my wayward friend's life, whatever it may be, that you've got to bring them to a point where they come to themselves, where they come to their senses. It could possibly mean that almost a crushing experience in their life. But Father, their eternal soul weighs more than the luxuries and the happiness they can find. Help me to pray for the right thing. Maybe that's where you are. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, I know a sermon like this can be taken in so many different ways. But Father, right now I stand here proclaiming that I'm so glad that the father in the story is a picture of you. That there may be someone in this room that's wayward. Someone who used to have a passion for their faith. And it's, 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 it, 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 the flames are no longer there. It may be that they've sinned in some way. And 
It could be that pride settled into the heart like the older brother. But Father, I just pray that you bring us to a point where we can find that lasting peace and joy that you desire to bring to our lives. Father, I pray for the one that's here this morning. Maybe it's a mother, a grandparent, a, a father, or whatever that has that wayward child or grandchild or friend or whatever, and, and, and it's just breaking your heart. Father, I just pray for them, Lord, that you'll continue to equip them with how they can pray for that loved one. And Father, that one day there, there may be rejoicing, may re, be rejoicing as a result of their prayers. Father, we thank you that you'd never give up on us. We thank you that you continue to desire healing and restoration for us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.